Hello, and welcome to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. And before I introduce our guest today, uh, just a little bit about why this podcast is called The Soul of Business. Every organization that's ever been founded was founded with some spirit, some spark that gave life to the idea of what the organization ultimately becomes. And I've spent 40 plus years working in businesses, both as an entrepreneur and an owner, but also as a consultant to some of the largest organizations on the planet. And one of the things that has struck me over and over and over again is how the spirit, the life, seems to be squashed out of the activities of business. Uh, And it seems to happen about the point in time that the organization begins to become successful. And then what happens Our decisions are made in service of the business, not in service of the mission or the spirit that the business was founded on. So the soul of business conversation is in part predicated on how do we keep ourselves connected to what we're about in life in a way that allows for the life that we are to actually shine through. And that's both as a personal level, but it's also at a business level. And with that bit of a preamble, I am absolutely thrilled today uh, to introduce Heather Mason, who um, I've just recently met. And quite frankly, I'll just, you know, my hairstylist is the one that introduced us. Uh, We we go to the same salon. And I mention that because uh, Jason Laura was actually, uh, he and his partner were a guest on one of the earlier podcast shows. And their business is all about magical moments, you know, bringing life to, to the, the process. And Jason was absolutely bouncing up and down. He says, you've got to talk to Heather. I'm going, well, okay, let me, who's Heather? <laughs> and then I talked to her and I was blown away and I immediately needed to get her on the show. So let me just give you a little bit of background uh, in her own words here. She started her career in the film industry before moving you know, onto marketing in the dot-com world which is an interesting migration in and of itself, I've got a hunch. Um, but producing, producing always called her, as did wanting to work in a field that did good. She started Caspian Agency, a strategy and production company, to do just that in 2005. And in, quite successfully, I might add, because her client list is, is amazing. They include the Skoll Foundation, Ahmed Yar Network, I think I pronounced that uh, correctly, uh, Code for America, Oxford University, the Rockefeller Foundation, and many others. Um, you know, production, or, uh, uh, yeah, just, <laughs> we can talk about some of them here in just a moment. Um, she's developed a proprietary, you know, proprietary Caspian 10 essential methodology that, and this is where it was very interesting to me, that ensures strategy and logistics meet. Mm-hmm. And that's a piece that I want to explore, actually, in, in our conversation. But also, and uh, for those of you that will have uh, the opportunity to see the video later on, in the background, you can see Girl Scout cookies. Um, (laughs) Yep. (laughs) She started a girls conference called Surefire to help teen girls connect to their local uh, resources. It's quite quite a phenomenal mentoring program. So I want to welcome Heather, Heather Mason. It's a pleasure to have you here. 
Well, thank you and hello everyone. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk about all, all of the above. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there, there's two tracks here that we can explore. One is <clears throat> just your migration from the film industry through the dot-com you know, piece and into where you're at right now with Caspian. So that I imagine is an interesting you know, conversational arc at the very least. Yes, it is. Uh, yeah, well, I can definitely give you the, the shorthand there. Um, you know, I, I was born and raised in Idaho Falls, Idaho. Uh, so I never thought I'd be coming out to Los Angeles and Hollywood, but I always wanted to. And so I went to school at Utah State University, not a school many people know, but um, really loved it. And um, when I was there, a woman came from the Utah Film Commission, which I had never heard of, and said, you can actually work you know, kind of alongside the film industry in Utah. And that just sounded fascinating. So I got an internship uh, with the Utah Film Commission. And then I decided to start uh, interning out in Los Angeles, um, started temping out in LA, and then um, started working at the Cannes Film Festival. I'd worked at Sundance Film Festival, started with Cannes Film Festival, and that brought me out here. And then I started working in development at Fox 2000, Fox TV. And then I realized I wasn't making any money. I was having a lot of fun. I was having so much fun, but I could not pay my rent even on my little tiny, tiny garage behind a house in Venice. So that was when this dot-com thing came up and a boyfriend at the time said, you should look into that. I said, really? <laughs> so I started working at Showbiz Data and produced the largest non-officially sponsored event that's ever taken place at the Sundance Film Festival. Interesting. And then from that, I got a job offer to go up to San Francisco to work in another dot com. And while I was up there, you know, the industry collapsed and uh, dot com collapsed. And a friend said, you know, if you like the idea of producing movies, producing events is very similar. And I said, well, that is true. So I worked at Schwab for three years before I thought, you know what, I want to do this on my own. And I only want to work with companies that are doing good. And she said, well, that is a recipe for failure. <laughs> so, and that was kind of the little arc that took me here. <laughs> well, and, and I think that you've actually proven that uh, wrong. That yes. You know, it's actually been quite successful for you. I mean, the School Foundation. I mean, you have some amazing organizations. And when we first spoke, you had uh, mentioned also you'd done some work with the UN on uh, some of the impact goals that they were doing. Yeah. Yes. You know, together some yeah, we did. Yeah, we did two events. Actually, we've done three events now at the United Nations, um, all around sustainable development goals, which is is really interesting to learn about, you know, the 17 goals. I used to know them almost by heart. Um, but we did Impact 2030, which is about uh, that organization is getting enterprise level companies to mobilize their volunteer workforces underneath the halos of each of those 17 sustainable development goals. So instead of just having volunteer programs to have volunteer programs, what if you instead had them align with the UN SDGs? So um, that was really interesting. We did that twice there. We'll do it every other year. And then another one was Merit360, which was getting um, college kids and post-college kids to create projects in their own countries uh, that aligned with the UN SDGs. So it was interesting to do events at the UN. There, um, Quite an interesting organization to do an event with. Lots, lots of rules. Lots of rules. <laughs> that would be an interesting <laughs> I know. I, th I thought Oxford had a lot of rules, but I think the UN is actually more, more rules than Oxford. 
It's, uh, it, yeah, university systems are very fascinating. Yes, they are. All over the world. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so um, one of the things that I was struck by when I was doing some research you know, in preparation here was the notion of having an event not just be a party, but actually having it be an expression, a way to express what the organization stands for. And you've developed a way by which that actually unfolds and occurs. It's not just you know, an idea. You actually do make it happen. Yes. And I know enough about you know, Jeffrey Skoll and the Skoll Foundation and some of the other you know, organizations you work with to know that that is absolutely crucial to the way that they present to the world. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here uh, to have this conversation is because every organization has, a, has, has, has an outward-facing Mm-hmm. Uh, component to it. Yeah. So your strategy, the way that you approach this, and, and obviously from a production standpoint, but also just from, uh, I could call it a marketing, a marketing communication perspective. How do, you know, how, do, how do you go about capturing that and then making it visible and tangible? Yeah. Well, and I will say, I'm glad you bring up Skull because they're one of my favorites that I think lives their ethos I like to say in front of the curtain and behind the curtain, because I I do think there are organizations out there who are great in front of the curtain, but behind the curtain to the help, they may have a very different operating procedure. And I I find that mix match something that, especially in the social good world, we need to uh, assure doesn't happen because then we have no integrity. It, you know, if you can't operate the same behind the curtain with the help that's occurring, as in front, then you have no business calling yourself a social good organization. Um, and I, I've gotten to see both sides. And so, you know, the positive side of this is when you're able to align the goals in an organization right from the outset. And so that's what the Caspian 10 essentials are meant to do. And we even get in the, into the shadow goals, I call them. So the goals that really haven't been enunciated or said yet until we go in there and make people say them. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. And so, you know, because maybe one of those goals might be that one of the CEOs who's coming has to have a great time and, and, you know, his whole family has to come as well. Well, great. I don't judge that. That might actually be a really useful goal for this organization at this particular conference. Um, But we want to know what those are up front. You don't get to have hidden goals and hidden agendas. And we shine a bright light on all of those because the first step of the Caspian 10 Essentials is success metrics. And we drill down from goal to outcome to tactic to measurement. And that t- that's the longest step of the 10 essentials. Mm-hmm. Then we go into audience mix analysis. Who has to come in order for those goals to succeed? And then we go into content mapping. And that is what content does the organization have to have? What content does the audience expect? And we call those first three the triplets. Uh-huh. And if we align well then you're going to have a conference that makes sense. And I will tell you from 14 years of owning this company, I have never worked with a client yet that from the outset had that alignment. There's always something that's a little bit funky. Mm -hmm. Um, And in doing that process, you also get them to really understand what their outward facing goals are. Then we go into, and then I'll pause after this, but one of them is roles and responsibilities. And that's where I really dig into, we need to live our goals. Because if there's only one person on the inside that's in charge of the entire event, 
we have a problem saying we believe in work-life balance. We have a problem saying we believe, and I only say this because it's usually a lot of women teams, that we want women paid at parity for the work they're doing. If all the women are volunteers working on a project, what are we saying to the world? And roles and responsibilities really puts a bright light on that. <laughs> I can only imagine. Now, so we will take a bit of, I want to hear about the rest of the 10 essentials here, but right now, yeah, the shadow, when you're shining a light on the shadow goals and they, and they actually become visible. Yes. I'm I'm assuming that there have been instances where there have been um, mismatches. Oh yes. Oh, very much so. That is where we become a more uh, counselor and facilitator than chooser and decider. Because I will say if you get an organization and all the right stakeholders around the table, a lot of assumptions get aired. When we say, what does this event have to do to succeed? If we're sitting here six months after your event and we're toasting with champagne, what are you saying? And it's amazing how many people will say different things and then look across the table. Why would you say that? Well, I thought this was about connecting entrepreneurs to funders. So no, it wasn't. And that's the kind of stuff we can really get out. So that's, Yeah, I, I love that. Because um, that, for me, uh, begins to address the unspoken, uh, and, almost, and typically it's a default way of decision making that right. is organized around things that people aren't paying attention to. They're yes. Just, uh, <laughs> well, and, those things link to money, which is why we care about it so much. Because if we have to say, okay, we have to get private cars for all these people, I have no problem with private cars. And, but some people will in the organization, we shouldn't be buying private cars for them. Some people will be saying, well, you have to buy private cars for them. All I'm going to say is, do we need that person there? Do they need to be on time? And do they need to have an excellent experience in order for, let's say, them to fund your organization. If somebody says yes, I'm going to say, then who cares if they get a private car? Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> we're, we're not held captive by right. assumptions right. and they are vetted in your, pos- in, in your process, it sounds like. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So. so up front, you end up eliminating, in my experience, some of the angst that happens when these shows, and I use the word show very colloquially yeah. here, but yep. when they actually begin to come together, there's egos involved and there's all kinds of stuff. Yes, yeah. there are. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Yes, well, and that's why when somebody says, well, this person has to be the MC because they're the daughter or the son or the cousin of somebody who's going to give a lot of money, I just go right back to the success metrics. Well, if getting the money is the highest order bit, then actually they do need to be an MC but then I've got to eliminate your goal of having an excellently produced event with regards to production on stage. You can't have both. And they'll be like, well, we need both. Okay, well, let's think about this. Maybe we can give them a speaking opportunity, but have a professional MC by their side. But you know, those are usually the tensions that are arising between the politics and the egos and actually the functional, and again, this is where I don't have judgment. If you have to have somebody be an MC because they're gonna give you $25 million, well, hey, Let's figure out a way to make them an MC. But let's not also say we're frustrated and curious as to why the event is sometimes boring. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it, it, it provides a way to keep it clean. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so you're, 
the uh, note that you have on your website around this is we have developed a methodology as a scientific system to produce strategically driven events with well-defined repeatable results. Now, school has been with you for some number of years now, so I'm yes. assuming it's because there are repeatable <laughs> results that they are experiencing. Yes. <laughs> uh, in the methodology, you started talking about the 10 essentials and we got partway through them. Yeah, how did you come to codify this, if I you know, could put it in that kind of a language? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I always like to say to my staff, every lesson was born of pain. And they actually started out being eight essentials. And then they grew to 10 because there were two more really painful lessons. <laughs> part of it was every time I'm a systems-oriented person, and every time I would come up against a situation that started to look like a pattern, I thought, wait a second, why are we all kind of creating things around the event industry when this is an industry that arguably has been around in the professional sense for probably 30 years. You could say it's even more than that. If you went to protests and things like that, you could go way, way, way back. But as far as the way that it's been seen, you know, 30, 40 years from the 60s, people starting to do these conferences and all these types of things. Um, but no one actually had a repeated strategy or methodology. And I thought, well, that seems silly because then we constantly keep making these same mistakes. And I took a project management course and I thought, well, all this is is project management. So as I would go through problems that I would have, which one was we did an excellent event and the client said it was a failure. And I realized some board member had a specific success metric that had not been enunciated. That's why it was a failure. So we never got the business again. Then the next time, the wrong audience was in the room. So that became the audience mix analysis. Then they were thinking, well, we'll do the content. You guys do logistics, which I don't accept anymore because the content didn't fit anything and it was a failure. And just on and on, roles and responsibilities came from the client saying, you only need two people to run that event. And I was like, but there's all these other tasks that need to be done. Mm -hmm. So by constantly running up against this, I would say then the first two years I had the full 10 because there was a lot of pain. <laughs> oh. Don't you love growth opportunities? Oh, I am done with growth opportunities in my life. I think I've grown enough, feeling good about it. Five, five in growth, not hitting anymore. <laughs> a six foot is not on my, on my menu here. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so that's, that's what kept bringing them about. And now I haven't added an essential in 12 years, so they're pretty um, good. And the budget is always last. And that usually shocks people. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. So the money does not lead in the, in, the, in the pecking order here. No, I actually don't let clients say that. Because if they say, well, this is how much money we have. I'm like, la, 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 la. I'm not listening to you. What do you want to do? Because you're not starting to plan an event with a money in mind or else you shouldn't do one. I'll tell you to stop right now. Yeah. What I want to know is what you want to do. And then I will tell you the cost of it. So design your dream home with me. We'll make a smaller dream home if you don't have the money at the very end when we price it. But if we start out pricing for a shack, you're going to end up with a mediocre shack. Mm -hmm. And you're going to wonder why you're not happy. And I found when people build to their dream, they sometimes get higher than what they would have built for if they were building towards a shack. Yeah. It's also a lot more exciting for your staff to get behind. So we always start with the dream. That's, you know, the language I use with the work that we do is what would you love? Yeah. And, and that, you know, that, you know, start with your dream. What would you love? That, those sorts of, or, you know, organizing questions speak to spirit. 
you know, yes. the soul yes. of the organization. Very much so. Yeah. So that leads me to, you know, not such a fancy segue here, but uh, <laughs> if you had a way to describe what is the soul of your organization, of Caspian, you know, how, would you, uh, how would you define that? And how do you keep it alive? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, I think the soul of my organization is based on probably two things. The first is we feel social change adjacent. We feel like we are uh, the helpers to make social change happen with the biggest organizations and most innovative organizations in the world. The second thing I would say is we, we bring and build our superpowers within this office. So the ethos of this office is to encourage, inspire, and further our superpowers. And our superpowers are to take ideas to reality. And we're very good at that. And it's all women. And that's not by intention. Just uh -huh. is. Um, and I really like to foster a very supportive environment because I think that is our true nature. Um, and... I like to feel like everything's like a soccer team. So we're passing the ball around uh -huh. to the person who does the best. But yeah, I would say it's, it's one, we're helping the biggest social change makers in the world. And that alone is exciting. And the second thing is I really feel like when you find your superpower and you're fostering it every day, it's exciting because you feel like a master of your craft. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. On your personal website, uh, heathermason.com. You, you know, when you understand what your superpower is, you can do anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I'm struck with that. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, I've got a very good friend by the name of uh, Jim Quick. Mm -hmm. and, uh, Jim uh, is kind of a superpower guru, uh, if you will. So you're oh. <laughs> talking with him in the not too distant future here. I but, love that. <clears throat> so, the, yeah, you've got another piece here, and I mentioned it in, in part in, in the introduction here, but Surefire. Yeah. Uh, how did that come into play? And, and, and for those that are listening, you know, a little bit about what Surefire is as you talk about how it came into being. Yeah, so Surefire Girls Conference, again, I always like to say it does two things. I always kind of break things down like that. Um, it is a spotlight and a connective web to resources in a girl's community that are based on helping her. So there's lots of amazing uh, girls organizations in any major metropolitan area, like Girls on the Run, Girls for a Change, Girls Who Code, Black Girls Who Code, Girls Lit. I could keep naming them. There's about 70 to 100 in any major city. Yeah, because we did the research. Wow. The problem is they're never all together all at once for one day, like under a circus tent where you could see every single resource a community has to offer so that the girls could experience it and know more about those programs and the parents could know about them too. So that's what Surefire does. We're almost like a traveling circus that comes down, gets them all together, and then we leave. Um, but we're hoping that that continues. We want to keep coming back and watch that connective tissue get stronger. Um, and we have ambassadors. So anytime a main stage uh, thing happens, the ambassadors introduce or interview the lady on stage or the man, either one. And the girls pick the top 10 topics that are the workshops throughout the day. We don't pick them. So they come up with the titles and then we go and match two organizations per workshop to teach that title. So it's very girl run, girl led and connecting to resources. And the way it came around is it's based on my life story because I was born in Idaho with nothing, came from nothing. Um, and I'm here, yay. And uh, the main reason I like to say is because five people serendipitously came into my life 
and changed it for good. And I thought, well, why are we relying on serendipity for our girls? We should and we can make a conscious effort to show the girls everything we have for them. Why aren't we doing it? So I just did it. So I liquidated half my retirement to do the first one, liquidated the second half the second time, and then I thought I need a more sustainable model. <laughs> so we had a great champion in Utah who uh, funded it to come to Utah last year, and we're probably going to do it again there this year. Uh, yeah, that's a beautiful story. And, you know, the idea of serendipity, you know, serendipitous happenings, you know, expect a miracle, that sort of thing, but it comes when you're willing to let you know, the soul of the, uh, the idea actually speak. Yeah. It's, you know, rather than, you know, and I'll just kind of throw this up and see where we go with it here. But, you know, I, my experience with a lot of organizations, particularly when they start uh, dreaming, mm-hmm. is hung up on the question how. Yeah. And as soon as the question how raises its, uh, you know, its head, yeah. uh, people start looking around at current reality going, well, we can't do it because of that. We can't do it because of that. <laughs> so. The idea of soul of business and the idea that I, that I love what you're speaking to here, I mean, uh, Surefire is a great example of this. Um, forget about the question how, get pretty, you know, you know get, 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 a, get connected to what you love or what, the, what, what you would dream of having, and then start identifying what, who, where, when. Yeah. Just kind of, who do I need to talk to about that? When do I need to talk to them? Where would I find that? Yes. So... In your starting of Surefire, it sounds like some of that was actually how that transpired because you, you couldn't have known all of these different uh, organizations. You just had an idea. Yep, that's, that's exactly it. And it's funny because I had to do the 10 essentials on myself, which was a really interesting m- method because I had never asked myself those hard questions about success metrics and audience mix and content mapping and even my staff said, wait a second, you have a shadow goal there. And I did. <laughs> I did have a shadow goal that I wasn't naming. And they were smart enough to, to see it. And I could not see it, which was interesting. I mean, I came up with the 10 essentials, but applying them to my dream was actually really hard. Um, but the good part about it, and this is what I tell, you're right, the girls that work with me, um, you know, in Surefire is we're excellent how. You know, we are really good at saying if you start here, all you have to do is do the pieces to reality and remove yourself exactly like what you're saying from your current circumstances because there is a plan to do it. Now, you might not have the money or the people or whatever, but you can always build a plan. Mm. Plan is a plan. And once you have the plan, actually, you can see a way to do it. And that to me is the most exciting part about project management, event management, because it's just a plan. Well, we're never going to take over Wrigley Stadium or Wrigley Field. Well, you could. You actually could. You can rent it out. I have called them and found out how much it is to rent it out. And it's fun to make those calls. I don't have that much money. But you know what? I know how you could do it. I know how you could rent out Wrigley Field, have a massive surefire. And it's just money, actually, that stops us. You know? <laughs> so, everywhere. Where do you get it? Wherever it's at. Right, right, exactly. So, and maybe make a smaller field. Maybe we just do it on Dodgers field first or something. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it is fun to, to dream like that because it shows you anything is possible. My, my favorite quote, which is on the wall behind me, I have all our quotes on our, on our wall behind me. And um, one of my favorites is Archimedes. Uh, Give me a lever and a place to stand and I will move the world. Absolutely. 
And I always like that because it just says everything is just a matter of scale. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. Yeah, and Einstein said nothing happens until something moves. Right. <laughs> oh, I like that. I'm going to use that next. That's exactly it. <laughs> yeah. You just got to get it moving and then you can make it up from there. Right. So. <laughs> totally possible. Good. Yeah. Well, Heather, I want to thank you for this conversation. I've loved it, and I'm sure the audience has too. Um, but I you know, want to you know, close off by giving you an opportunity to, you know, where can we uh, get more information uh, about Surefire as an, uh, an example, but also, um, you know, about Caspian Strategy or, you know, the Caspian Organization. Mm -hmm. And anything else that you would like to share, actually? Sure. I love this part. Um, sure. So Surefire Girls um, is just at www.surefiregirls.com. And anybody can bring Surefire to their city. All we need is a champion and a fundraiser. Um, and then the other site, of course, Caspian Agency. So Caspian, just like the Caspian Sea. Um, CaspianAgency.com. And then my speaking website, HeatherMason.com. Very easy. Um, and yeah, I mean the, just so your listeners know in the future, uh, the 10 essentials book is coming out hopefully by April and we'll have online classes and you know, you never know, maybe there'll be a whole surefire series around the nation. That's our goal. I would love to support that in any way I can. Thank you. Really. Thank you I look so forward much. to seeing the book when it comes out. Yes, me too. <laughs> yeah. Having written four of them, I know it's kind of like, oh my gosh, okay, good. I'll be very happy when it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Well, Heather, again, thank you very, very much. I've, I've, I've loved the conversation. Me too. This was wonderful. I'm so glad we got in touch. Same here. Look forward to spending more time. Thank you. Me too. <laughs> Take Bye. care. Bye. This is Blaine Bartlett, um, your host for The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. And until next time, have a great day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.